bi-weekly conversation about the craft of sermon preparation. My name is John Chandler. My guest today is George Acevedo. George is a pastor of Grace Church, which is a rejuvenated United Methodist congregation on the southwest coast of Florida. George, you will quickly pick up, has a lot of energy and a lot of enthusiasm that obviously translates into a lot of the life that's pouring out of their church, but certainly translates into his thoughts about preaching as well. George has one of the most well-thought-out understandings of how the sermon works within the context of his unique congregation. So I'm excited to have you hear that and hear what goes into that. You'll also hear that George was also uh, interviewed on The Art of the Sermon, which is another preaching podcast if you're not familiar with it. And he covered some of his sermon process there as well. So I tried to kind of round out what that interview had alongside. So you might want to listen to that as well as a complimentary interview. You can find the links to that and everything George talks about at sermonsmith.com. And you'll find George Acevedo on the homepage if you're looking soon, or you can search for him there. I also want to say thank you so much to The River Pastor for leaving us a review on iTunes. That puts us up to 45. I still have a goal of 60, so we're 75% of the way there. But if you can take some time to leave a review on iTunes, that would be appreciated. Thank you for The River Pastor uh, for your nice words. And also, if you're finding the podcast helpful, you can go to patreon.com slash sermonsmith, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, where you can pledge a few dollars or as much as you like for each interview that we publish. And that just helps cover the cost of my time and some of the costs we have of hosting the podcast and those kinds of things. Thanks so much for considering that. And here we are with George Let's go forth then. You are you were at Grace Church. Tell us about Grace Church. Tell us about your context and where you ministry. Yeah, I've uh, been privileged to um, serve here at Grace Church now for uh, almost uh, 21 complete years. And uh, I, I tell my congregation pretty soon we're going to start counting in dog years. You know, I've been here so long. And mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, we have, um, I kind of came to a uh, traditional uh, declining mainline church. I'm a United Methodist uh, uh, ordained pastor in the Florida Conference and um, uh, just really uh, began to intuitively lead the congregation um, around a very clear uh, disciple-making vision um, that begins with people who are far from God and tries to uh, grow them to a place of faith and and then uh, to full devotion. Um and uh, that drove us really hard for about 10 years. And the church uh, and community responded well. Uh, the church uh, grew significantly. Um, we added a second campus. And then really for the last 11 years, it's really been more about, um, uh, at Grace Church, it's really been more about um, growing um, leadership capacity uh, within the, the life of our congregation um, and then somehow figuring out how to release uh, fully devoted disciples of Jesus who've become fully devoted spiritual leaders to lead generative communities, whether those are a, a campus in an under-resourced community or a fresh expression of church uh, in, a, in a place of need in our community. And, um, and so uh, over the last 11 years, uh, we've gotten better uh, at this uh, creating of leadership capacity. And um, we're pretty excited about the next run where we're getting very intentional. We've did done most of that, I would say, by intuition. And now we're doing it by intentionality. 
We're trying to build some systems around some of the things that we've organically done, if that makes sense. Um, And so uh, it's been a great journey. Um, I I guess, you know, uh, specifically some of the things that we've, um, that God seems to have breathed on and that we do pretty well is recovery ministries. We have a very large uh, recovery ministry. Um, We uh, host a lot of outside meetings, and then we do a lot of what we call Christian recovery meetings. Um, we have over a thousand people a, a week that are involved at, uh, at, uh, our campuses in, in those kinds of recovery, uh, opportunities. Um, and then, um, uh, another kind of, uh, area in which we've, uh, God seems to have really breathed on our work is, is, um, working with families with special needs. Um, and so we have a whole host of things that are done both for, as a part of our own faith community, welcoming special needs families into our church. But, uh, last couple of years, really taking that missionally as we've created a, a ministry called exceptional entrepreneurs, where it's, uh, the cool thing is we create, um, uh, business plans for special needs, young adults, and hmm. uh, they get to, uh, create product, uh, with some of our volunteers and then we sell them and it becomes a way of, uh, both income producing as well as, uh, uh, adding great meaning to their lives. And uh, the cool thing is, uh, you know, last year I baptized four special needs uh, uh, young adults uh, into our congregation. So it's become a, this little church within a church. Um, and then I think the, the, the third thing that's been uh, that God seems to really let us on is, is really working in parts of our community where there's uh, generational poverty and uh, to try to to try to bring the gospel to bear upon that, um, both in its personal salvific way, uh, but also in its more social dynamics. And what does that mean? And um, so we, we do a lot of things like jobs for life, and that kind of has a lot of connectivity for uh, recovery ministry. So it's been a, it's been a fun run, and uh, we're just trying to listen to the Holy Spirit for the next thing to do. Wow. I mean, that's, it seems like there's, which there's a beautiful image of just new, uh, I, don't, I don't know what to word here, uh, opportunities, ministries, um, like little entrepreneurial missional kingdom endeavors yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that are springing out of your community all the time. Is that, is that your personality and that's just flowed into the whole church or has it just been a matter of stirring that in the hearts of your community to see what people have a passion for and what comes out of it? Yeah, I, what, what I would say is that um, it seems to me that the heavy lifting of pastoral ministry is not the day-to-day stuff. I mean, you know, on Monday, Thursday, I got a call right before the service that a 18-year-old girl in our church had been killed tragically in a car accident. Hmm. And, um, you know, you, it's painful. It's what we do. It's, it's what I was trained to do, if you will. That's what I was mentored to do. And so, you know, doing Easter services and Monday, Thursday services and, uh, you know, funerals and weddings and baptisms. So that's, uh, I, I would say that's the stuff we as pastors do for free. Um, what we get paid, I think our heavy lifting is creating, um, what I would call transformational cultures, um, and, and fruitful processes. And I think what we've done pretty well here over 21 years is we've built teams that have um, uh, have uh, led uh, us to, to to create a culture 
where uh, people are invited to dream about what God might ask them to do. Um, so this Jobs for Life thing is for the under and unemployed in our community, um, is led by uh, a really sharp entrepreneurial businessman and his wife in our church. And um, uh, he spends his, his daytime hours uh, coaching businesses on uh, good leadership practices and management practices. Uh, he's now bringing that to bear, brought that to us, and is now bringing that to bear and, and you know, has a group of eight or ten men and women he's working with now. And um, so, we, you know, we have a mantra around here. If, if, if you got the, uh, if you got the dream, you got the job. So, uh, we, so we try to create a culture where it, as long as it can connect to our mission uh, and our vision, uh, we'll, we'll green light it. As long as you can build a team and it's connected to our mission and our vision, uh, we'll, we'll build, we'll, we'll green light it. And, and so that's what's created these kind of tentacles of missional communities, micro communities into, into our, into our community, into our church. Yeah. And so I'm going to, I'm going to come back to that. I've okay. just made notes right in front of me because I want to get a little more context here. You, you mentioned that you, you know, had a second campus 11 years ago and now you have five, but you're around, you're Mount, around Fort Myers, Florida. So tell yeah. us a little bit about Fort Myers. Yeah. Fort Myers was the kind of the slower growing, uh, Southwest Florida and Fort Myers in particular was kind of the more slower growing part of Florida. Uh, it didn't explode like uh, Tampa Orlando did that, that, that part of it. Um, uh, it was uh, the place where, because I seventy five runs along the west coast, mm-hmm. folks from the Midwest, you know, uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, uh, you know, Ohio, Michigan, they would Indiana, uh, Wisconsin. They jump on I seventy five, come down here, and um, uh, many of them would retire or be oh, what we lovingly call snowbirds here for part of the year, uh, and then head back. Um, and then what happened was about uh, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, uh, young families started realizing they could move down here to Florida and get a two-bedroom uh, or a three-bedroom, three two-bath with a pool on a canal for $125,000. And so lots of young families started coming down here. Um, so Fort Myers has been primarily a, a retirement community. So, so for example, the, the, the uh, average age of Grace Church in 1978, the year it started was uh, 68, and today the average age is 42. Hmm. So uh, the community's gotten significantly younger, lots of schools, and uh, our church, uh, w- when I came 21 years ago, was kind of stuck in 1978 mode, of, <laughs> y- you know, and so basically all we did was they say, hey, let's be faithful to our context uh, and do that. Um so Fort Myers is a, a very, um, it was a pretty ethnically, uh, a, a white Anglo community. Uh, it's increasingly over the 20 years that I've been here, um, transformed into, uh, significantly more multicultural. It's not Miami by any means, sure, but, sure. uh, it's, it's, it's transforming. I, I, I lovingly tell my congregation, I was the ethnic diversity <laughs> when I, when I came to my church. I, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican. And, uh, I, but we can no longer say that, uh, you know, a couple of Sundays ago, I visited with a whole row of, of, uh, Brazilians, uh, Brazilian Christians who were in our church. And, uh, you know, there are lots of Latinos, lots of Islanders, uh, lots of African Americans. So it's, it's increasingly becoming multicultural. Um, and, uh, it, it's, uh, you know, it was a hardest hit community during the recession. Uh, we were the, uh, I think it was, uh, U.S. News and World 
reported that we were the uh, you know, first community into the Great Recession. Uh, we led the nation in foreclosures. At one time, it was one in 12 homes were in foreclosure. So wow. it's been, it was an interesting decade, you know, from around 2007 to, yeah. to now. Um, and uh, things have gotten significantly better uh, over the last uh, four or five years. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great place to serve. So you don't talk like you're from there. Did you grow up in Florida or in Puerto Rico? Or uh, I, I was born in Puerto Rico. Uh, my dad was in the Air Force, and so I went to five different elementary schools uh, by the time I graduated from elementary school. And then he retired in Orlando, Florida, uh, the year that Disney uh, opened. Wow. And so we moved uh, in the early 70s to uh, Orlando and uh, grew up there and w- was uh, basically a, 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 a lapsed uh, Roman Catholic and um, had kind of walked out of church when I was about 13 and I never stepped back into a church until I was uh, uh, around 18. And uh, so... I became a Christian through Campus Crusade for Christ and their high school campus ministry. And I think in some ways, I had this epiphany the other day uh, when I was reading some Fresh Expressions material that uh, I was one to Christ in an early Fresh Expression of church. You know, the first hmm. Christian meeting I ever went to was at a, at a community center at an at a apartment complex where they were doing a, kind of a young life club kind of deal. And uh, it was in a Bible study uh, almost a year later. Uh, with a group of guys and the area director for Campus Crusades High School Ministry, uh, that I prayed to receive Christ. But I, uh, I tell my, my congregation and, and friends that the night I prayed to receive Christ, I, I went out and smoked a joint to celebrate that I was a Christian. <laughs> um, because I, you know, I didn't have the decoder ring. And, uh, I think those things of uh, being, having been reached in a kind of a non traditional way and, um, not knowing the rules, if you will, you know, not having the decoder ring, not knowing the insider language um, has given me a great sensitivity towards people who are far from God um, yeah. to, to recognize that um, my church just finished uh, through Lent. We preached through Philippians two, the Kenosis hymn, and, uh, you know, that Jesus was ready to go, was able, look how, how low would he go? He went so low, he went to a criminal's cross and, um, and, and so, you know, how low are we willing to go to reach people? And, uh, you know, what, what are we willing to sacrifice, you know, uh, of our own comfort uh, to reach people? And I think that was kind of built into my DNA so that when I got called to be a pastor, um, I'm not surprised that our church kind of has some of that similar uh, uh, passion and DNA. So we're, you know, every week we're in everything from nursing homes to jails to detox centers to, um, you know, to this exceptional entrepreneur business, to helping people get jobs, um, yeah. but, but all with a kind of a gospel imperative driving it. So, Yeah. Wow. Sounds pretty boring. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, so talk about, um, still just trying to frame even a little context here, because sure. there's so much to ask about now. I'm like, I'm taking notes like crazy. So you you have five campuses for that happen for your weekend gatherings, and what's the nature of those? Are those video venues? Are those live preaching? Yeah, they're, they're live preaching. Uh, mm-hmm. We kind of bumped into multi-site about uh, 12, 13 years ago. Um, the, the original campus of Grace Church is the largest. Uh, I tell people, when you think about uh, multi-site and you think about us, don't think about like Andy Stanley and North Point, you know, where they, they start with thousands. 
We start right. with with dozens. Think of us as kind of the rehab addicts of uh, of <laughs> church planting, a multi site flipper flop, flipper flop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, whatever you want, whatever your favorite uh, DIY uh, DIY uh, uh, show is. Uh, we we typically are invited into under resourced communities uh, where there's a little Methodist church that's either closed down or getting ready to close down, and um, we send some leadership over there and pray that God will turn it around. Um, and so, uh, we do, I think it's like a 12 or 13 worship services on the weekends at these different campuses, but it's all live preaching. Um, all the campus pastors have been men or women who've been, uh, raised out of the chairs of this campus. So mm-hmm. the other, uh, uh, including, uh, including this campus, the other f- four campuses, uh, are led by, um, uh, men or women who were lay people in our church here that felt a call to ministry. They'd gone through our discipleship systems and our leadership uh, systems, and then we uh, released them, got them credentialed through our denomination, and then released them to um, to plant campuses of Grace Church. With our DNA, um, we have a, a, a unique disciple-making system uh, uh, that is kind of our way. We're not saying it's the way, but it is our way. And um, so they go with that kind of that toolkit and they build a team and seek to to uh, revive it. And so, you know, our first campus was a, a church that had dwindled down to about 50 or 60. And uh, Pastor Sherry's leading a church now that runs about 225. Um, uh, our second campus uh, was a church that had dwindled down to 30. And that one's running about 200, 225, uh, where Pastor Arlene is at. Um, uh, Patty, uh, just launched a new campus in Sarasota and they're, they're running about a hundred. Uh, she just launched, uh, four weeks ago. And so oh, yeah. she, she's running about a hundred there. Sam, uh, is gone to a very blighted inner city African-American church that was ready to close. Um, and they were running, you know, 18 or 20. And they're running, you know, right around a hundred, hundred and a quarter sometimes. Um, so, um, yeah, so we, that, that, and then the original campus, uh, runs uh, anywhere from 1700 to 2000 on a weekend. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm still going to ask you. So I'll probably say this in the intro, but let me say it again. So sure. you were interviewed on the Art of the Sermon podcast. Yeah. Uh, Dan Wonderlick, right? Do I pronounce his name right? I think so. <laughs> I yeah. Think so, yeah. I, I, I don't know Dan real well. <laughs> so. Yeah. I mean, I've listened to his podcast a few times and actually it was kind of funny because I was looking you up because I'm going to uh, hear you speak at the Missio Alliance National Gathering, which will probably be in the past by the time this is published. And then I ran across that he had interviewed you and I was familiar with his podcast, but I hadn't connected that you'd been on his podcast. But all that to say, I mean, I'd encourage everybody listening to go listen to that interview because Dan doesn't always follow the same format as Sermon Smith, but in that particular interview, he was pretty close to the same format. So a lot of your sermon prep stuff is covered there, but I still want to cover some of it just for context. But sure. just because of the nature of what you're describing with your church, I, th- I think we'll also pursue a little bit of just how do you use the sermon to to just keep you know, spurring these things forward, this discipleship process and these kingdom endeavors. So we'll circle back to that, but let's talk a little bit just about then how, how do these sermons come together? Let's talk first of all, and I know you covered this one on his, but 
let's talk first of all about how you even determine what kinds of things to preach about. Sure. Well, um, we uh, we have we've formed what we call a teaching team, and it's uh, it's made up of um, the campus pastors, uh, and then um, what we what you might call some of our fill in um, uh, pastors who you know nobody preaches fifty two weeks a year. So sure. it might be the youth pastor or a children's pastor. Uh, it might be a lay person uh, who's serving, uh, like we have uh, a lay person that serves it, uh, preaches basically the same message that we do at a nursing home. Um, uh, and then we have a bench of kind of men and women that we invite to come who are potential future uh, teachers in our system, in our preachers in our system. Um, and so this team... Uh, each of them uh, serves in some ministry context. Um, we really ask them to listen and to ask questions of their constituencies, the, the campuses they lead, the ministries they lead, and ask, you know, what is it that our people are longing to hear from God's word? Or uh, what are the contemporary issues that they want to get a biblical perspective on? And so a couple of times a year, we'll either, you know, do an online thing or uh, put a three by five card in the, you know, in the seat racks and invite people to write out topics uh, that um, they could that they could uh, suggest that we might use. And um, then our team takes that uh, and we plan uh, in six month blocks, January to, to June and then July to August. Uh, we plan out the the sermon uh, series that we preach uh, at at all of the campuses, and uh, the agreement is that if you're going to be a campus, you're going to stay with the the preaching flow that we're that we're all in. Um, uh, we try to honor three of the kind of the Christian calendar, um, uh, the. You know, uh, seasons. Seasons, yeah. Yeah, yeah, seasons. I was hunting the word there. Seasons. <laughs> uh, Advent. Uh, we, uh, you know, so from right around Thanksgiving weekend through uh, New Year or Christmas Eve, uh, and then uh, Lent uh, from right after Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday, and then Pentecost. Um, uh, ironically, you know, we're going to this uh, Awakenings conference, and it's about the Holy Spirit. And um, one of the things I think Francis Chan has it right: the Holy Spirit's the forgotten God. And uh, so we we really uh, teach on the person, the power, the presence of the Holy Spirit, um, uh, at least a, a whole series around that uh, every year. And so uh, those are kind of our big blocks. We have a missions conference we do every year where we bring in our global mission partners. Um, so we get those big blocks in, and then we just kind of lay out the sermon series uh, using a whiteboard and a laptop and... Um, you know, just trying to, to, to wrestle this thing down. Um, and by the end of our teaching retreat, again, we'll do it several months before, you know, January and several months before June. Um, uh, we'll have a, 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 what we call a topic and a text, you know, what the topic for that week is and what the text is. And, um, uh, then on Monday, uh, the teaching team gets together and they've done their research. Uh, we have a covenant where we agree to do 30 minutes of research uh, before each time that we meet. And so that can be looking at commentaries, listening to sermons, reading books, uh, you know, whatever it might be, podcasts. And, uh, and then we bring all of that as a team to the table 
and then together we craft uh, an outline um, for the sermon. Uh, and then one of us is charged here at the original campus of writing the manuscript. And we're on a we're two weeks ahead, mm-hmm. so uh, we write the manuscript. And on the Sunday uh, by midnight, uh, a week before that sermon's actually going to be preached, the first writer has to post it on what we call we use this uh, base camp yeah, uh, on, yeah. on, online tool where we post it and it sends it to everybody. And then each of the campus pastors writes in their own voice that basic message in their own voice, and they post it. And then we get to cherry pick from each other's messages because uh, all of that's posted by Friday so that on Saturday, if you want to, you can go and read all the sermons and uh, cherry pick what will work best for you, and then you preach it on the weekend. And are these all fully manuscripted? Yeah, we manuscript the whole thing. Uh, we, we feel like... Um, uh, that that keeps us in focus. Now, of course, uh, we have what we call uh, NIMS, not in manuscript, uh, and, and, and typically that's the best stuff that gets said. Um, that's what you know the Holy Spirit stuff uh, that yeah. that comes. Um, but we also have our experience has been that you don't get the real good NIMS unless you do the work. Um, and so, yeah, writing the manuscript is a discipline. Um, one of the things I found, uh, and I'm probably one of the, I guess I'm the most seasoned preacher on the teaching team. And one of the things that I found is that a lot of newer preachers um, struggle with transitions um, and kind of making the turn from point one to point two, if you will, yeah. or from yeah. point, you know, or go, getting from the end of the points to the conclusion. And um, and so writing the manuscript makes you really work hard at those closings. Now. Uh, very few of us actually take the manuscript into the pulpit. Um, I'm a I I write the manuscript and then I I take notes the afternoon before we do a Saturday night service here, so I take notes the afternoon before and I only take my notes in my Bible. Um, uh, others of us do it different ways, but the other thing is that the manuscript becomes an accountability um, to the whole, and uh, it makes you think hard, um, and it and it, it it it's got enough elasticity in it that again. If the spirit whispers a, a new word, you, you can go chase it. Yeah. So, th- uh, I mean, how much freedom does everyone have to, I mean, is it other than a text and a topic, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's this manuscript that's constructed, how much freedom is there to really vary from that? Well, we, uh, we, I mean, you we, talked about their own voice. So that's why I was curious. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have the skeleton of an outline, and, and basically it'll be a question and, uh, and one, two, or three responses to that question. So it might be, um, uh, I preached a few weeks ago on Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, as a part of this whole downward mobility. We thought of prayer as being uh, reflective of Jesus' downward life. Um, and so, you know, uh, our question for that Sunday was, uh, what does it mean for me to pray downwardly prayers like Jesus? Something like that. I don't remember the exact question. And uh, we went to the Gethsemane story and and pulled out, uh, I think there were four insights there that Jesus prayed consistently. Uh, uh, this wasn't his first time at the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, uh, I think it's Luke that tells us that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, uh, Jesus play, prayed... Um, uh, honestly, he played, pr- oh, prayed in community. He took uh, Peter, James, and John. One of the, our insights was it's, it's, 
it's better to have three sleepy friends than no friends at all. You know, um, uh, Jesus prayed um, uh, honestly and he prayed humbly. Um, we saw those kind of percolating. So everybody had to use those four points gotcha. and, the, and the question. Now, how they illustrate that, uh, you know, all the, how, how they begin or end or their conclusion, whether they slam it on the tarmac or whether they're just a slow ride onto the tarmac, it's up to them. Uh, whether they want to end with a video or a power or, or a or a power song, that it, it's all up to them. Um, uh, each of us gets to determine that. But the skeleton, the framework, uh, the text, all of that, we put our hand in the middle on Monday and say, "Does everybody agree to preach this?" And everybody agrees to preach it. And that that question, I, I love talking about how sermons are structured. So uh, now I'm like, you, you're giving me so many things to ask about, but <laughs> that question that forms each sermon, you know, the responses, is that question overt in the sermon? So anybody sitting in the congregation is going to be, that question is going to be put to them and then say, let's respond to it? Or is it more just driving what you want to try to address, maybe more from the angles, working no, the angles, so to speak? Yeah. No, it's going to be more overtly. It's, it's yeah. not as... Uh, you know, I mean, uh, and it probably, I was profoundly influenced by Rick Warren's behavioral preaching. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Rick's is a kind of question answer model, a l- lot more left brain, uh, n- not, not quite as, uh, you know, uh, weaving. Uh, my, my right brain preachers struggle with, with our, with, with that. Now we, we will do some right brain preaching every once in a while where we'll, you know, we're, we're, it's a, it's, it's more, um, nuanced. Um, but I would say that about 90% of our preaching is kind of a question answer format. Um, uh, trying to be simple without being simplistic is, 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 is the, is the art for us. Yeah. Well, that's what also helps make it more reproducible and gives the free, like there's enough structure in place where five different people or more can preach this sermon. Yeah. The same sermon, but also put their put it in their own voices. You're describing, so that's really yeah. helpful. And and we've had we've had um, you know pretty seasoned preachers come uh, to our church for a weekend, and I've asked them, hey, you know, go to Saturday night at one of the campuses, and Sunday morning get to three of them, and then come tell me what did you experience of the message. And 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 it was interesting because uh, consistently, what I hear is. You know, it was the same message, but it wasn't the same message. You know, it, it, it had its each, each pastor had their own nuance. So they're, even though they were using the same points, uh, the same scripture and often the same illustrations, because sometimes the illustration is just too good to pass up, if you will. Um, you know, folks will, folks will, will, uh, will say it, 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 it was nuanced enough, uh, contextually. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was appropriate to its context. Yeah. Uh, so, what is your what is your weekly rhythm look like then? Because on uh, I, I I'm going to repeat this back. I hope I've got this right. Yeah. So on Monday, you're meeting to talk. It might not have been Monday, but you're early in the week. You're talking. You're meeting to talk about the sermon that's going to be two weeks away. Right. Friday, you're getting manuscripts from everybody's sermon for that coming week that you're going to preach Saturday. And then Sunday morning, and then by Sunday at midnight, you've got a manuscript produced for the following Sunday, right? Now, that everybody now, can share. So, what happens between Monday and Friday? Yeah, yeah. Well, let me sermons. Yeah. Well, not really. No, no. Because remember, we're two weeks ahead. So we we work it on on Monday. So the the first writer has 
from that Monday to the next Sunday at midnight to write their manuscript. But they're not sure. preaching it until the next week. So then the, follow, the following Friday, everybody else turns theirs in, and then they preach it that next weekend. So when you're the one writing that initial manuscript, really by Sunday at midnight, you've got the following Sunday sermon all I'm, I'm, done. It is the most liberating thing to come into church on Monday and know <laughs> the sermon is 90% done. Yeah. Right. So, um, so, so the, the other piece is um, here at the original campus, we have three communicators. So last year I preached 18 or 19 weekends. That's all. Yeah. Um, we've kind of resisted the temptation of the kind of cult of personality, you know, particularly at the main campus because we're large enough to have, you know, um, and resourced enough to have multiple communicators. Um, I remember Bill Hybels one time doing a talk on, on preaching and he said, you know, after about 25 years, he thought that people at Willow Creek thought that, that God was a, uh, or Jesus was a short Dutch guy. <laughs> and, uh, and that's when he started introducing other voices, male and female voices, you know, to, to offer, uh, uh, different context. So, um, we, we try to do that here, um, uh, particularly at the main campus that really is the prototype for the other ones. Um, and, um, and so it, it's uh, sustainable at the main campus because I don't have to do it every week. I mean, you know, um, I'm in a rhythm right now because of some travel that I'm getting ready to do um, where I haven't preached for two weeks uh, and I'm not up for the next two weeks. So um, I have four weeks, which is unusual. Normally I'm, I'm, I'm preaching about every uh, uh, two weeks. Well, I'll note then, <laughs> I'll note that you're practicing what you just preached because we're talking here three days after Easter. So you just told me that yeah. you didn't even preach on Easter. No, I didn't. No. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And, 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 um, and I didn't preach on Christmas Eve either. Um, yeah. Our, uh, uh, you know, and I will say um, uh, that in great part, uh, that's a conscious decision I've made to, n I don't want this congregation, I mean, it, you know, uh, when you've been here as long as I've been, it, I, I don't know that I've got anything to prove. Number one, but I, I I don't want the I don't want this to be a, a one hit wonder. You know, I, I I I'd love to see there to be continuity of our church. I, I it breaks my heart to that um, you know some of the greatest churches in America uh, are no longer churches. You know. Uh, and it was because I think in great part, uh, they bought into kind of a heroic solo leader model. And uh, it's part of what concerns me about uh, kind of evangelical Christianity in America today. Yeah. So we, 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 you know, uh, we, we've got to train up uh, younger leaders and younger communicators. And so we're trying to do that here. Yeah. I mean, and I've, I've said this even recently on another that part of my hope for this is uh, you know, I don't feel like there's really that many opportunities for new sermonizers, preachers, whatever you want to call it, to be trained up because they're, you know, we've we've created all of these places where you've got to be pretty skilled to be able to hold the size of audience that's there. So I love that you're also being really deliberate and intentional about helping form new communicators. It's beautiful. So uh, the question I skipped that I like to ask early that I'm going to maybe try to spend most of the rest of our time on because of how this fits into what you've described for your church, which is, I like to ask, what is the role of preaching in the life of your congregation? Okay. And 
but what I want to do with that is, you know, you've already you've already talked you've talked about the disciple making vision that you have, you know, that it's pretty unique for you and you think works real well. And then you've talked about all of these all these other expressions of your church that are just burgeoning and forming. And so I want to talk a little bit about with both of those things how much the sermon is part of helping those happen. First, what maybe you could talk a little bit briefly about uh, the disciple-making vision that you have, like what's unique about how you guys do that at Grace Church. Sure, sure. Well, I, th- I think we have to address disciple-making from a biblical perspective. Now, uh, this is going to sound like a little, I'm getting on a bit of a soapbox, but... Soapboxes you know, are good. Yeah, They're good. Three, three days after Easter, I guess I can do that. You know, the, f- uh, the filter's a little bit, a little bit thin. Um, you know, I, I'm a social media guy, like a lot of us are, and... Um, in the hours following Easter, uh, pastors begin to post uh, numbers of people who gave their life to Christ, numbers of baptisms, and all those kinds of things. And I celebrate that. I mean, I think a lot of those things are really, really good things. Um, and at the same time, my fear in all of that is that um, the Great Commission says, go make disciples, not go make converts. Um, and there's an old story. Uh, I don't know if you know the relationship between George Whitfield, the great evangelist, and John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement. And they had this kind of love-hate relationship. And, and uh, uh, near the end of their life, they, they, they were, uh, it was George Whitfield who, who convinced John Wesley to preach in the fields. Um, and uh, John Wesley, that was a strategy he, he couldn't even fathom as an Anglican priest, you know. Uh, he, he actually wrote in his journal, I determined to become more vile um, for the gospel. And um, at the end of George Whitfield's life, George Whitfield said um, that, and I'm paraphrasing, that uh, he said, my friend John Wesley was wise because he put his um, converts to class. They meant class meetings, small groups. Yeah. He said, this I neglected, and my disciples are a rope of sand. Hmm. And, and so, so here's my point. Um, I think kind of evangelical Christianity in America has made, you know, these mass baptism services and number of people who raised their hand at Easter and Christmas Eve as kind of the benchmarks. And yet Jesus said, go make disciples. Go make disciples. Disciples are made, not in a moment, but they're made in a process. In a, They're made over seasons. Um, I was thinking about this yesterday. Uh, Genesis 1 is the creation story, creation from nothing. Genesis 2 is Adam is made from the dirt. He's fashioned and formed from the dirt and breathed life into the Ruah, the breath of God. And, and Eve is gently, surgically removed from his side. Uh, my professor called it the splitting of the original Adam, you know. And, uh, and I've never heard that. How have it, I never heard that? Uh, yeah, there, there, there's a new one for you. There's a new one, the splitting of the original Adam. And, um, uh, and I think that disciple-making is more like Genesis 2 than Genesis 1. And yet I think most of us think of disciple-making as Genesis 1. 
So we tend to say, how many people raised their hand or came forward or came and got a Bible and gave their life to Jesus? Now, I'm all about giving your life to Jesus. I want you to hear me. But it, it's not just that moment. It's, it's, it's this formative moment. So evangelism, it seems to me, is, um, and disciple making is a process. Um, and, and the wise Christian leader creates a, a, a culture where disciple making, uh, is a process that meets people where they are and grows them to take the next step and the next step and the next step. This has to do with preaching because that's, I think that's where I'm going. Yeah. 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 Because I think that uh, preaching is a marvelous place to help people in the discipleship formation, spiritual formation process. Um, so we're getting ready. To, we just finished this series on Philippians 2 that we call ladders. Uh, we tend to climb ladders, but Jesus came down ladders. And uh, we're following it behind with a series, six-week series called A Love Story, where we're telling the love story of the Bible. We're going to walk from Genesis 1 to Revelation um, and, and a real quick flyover. Um, really, the Bible is a love story about God's love for, for us, for humanity. And um, we're going to talk about that. Our take home is that we're creating, uh, we've created a thing we call the University of the Holy Spirit. It's a three-tiered um, class one, class two, class three for daily Bible engagement. And we're going to try to sign up as many of our people to engage in one of the three classes, uh, it, think of it as beginners, intermediate, and advanced, even though that's not the language we use, um, to invite people to daily Bible engagement. Uh, because we know, according to the American Bible Society and the reveal study done by the Willow Creek Association, that the number one factor in determining spiritual growth is daily Bible engagement. So that's a big part of... So we're using the sermon series to be a catalyzer, a motivator, to motivate a lot of kind of sleepy Christians whose Bibles have a lot of dust on them. And we want to encourage them to grow in their discipleship. And so uh, we're going to measure it. You know, we're going to see how many people sign up and we're going to keep measuring it uh, throughout our ministry together because we think it's that important. So the, the preaching event becomes the opportunity to motivate and inspire and enlist people to this discipleship process. Does that make sense? Yeah. But talk more about how you do that. That's um, So uh, as it relates to the preaching event, um, we may come, we're going to come this fall because we think another important dynamic of this disciple-making process is uh, what John Wesley called watching over one another in love, living in rich, accountable, loving communi- Christian community. Uh, think small groups. And we're going to um, preach a series this fall um, that will uh, that will really look at engaging more of our people in eyeball-to-eyeball, knee-to-knee, small groups. Um, we might follow that up with another series that's a little more missional. And what does it mean to join Jesus in his mission? And we'll have take-homes, if you will, for every one of those sermons, for every one of those series that really tries to help people, again, take their next step, whatever that next step might be. 
Um, whether that next step is engaging with the poor or whether that next step is engaging in daily Bible reading or whether that next step is engaging in considering what the faith is all about. We want to, in a, the preaching event, we want to inspire and instruct and uh, enable people to take that whatever next step they need to take. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I, so I love that there's just so much uh, it, there's so much thought in terms of what is the outcome of the preaching, like not just like how can I make this help this text make sense, but yeah. how can I move this community toward outcomes in the preaching? Right, which is one of the dangers. Uh, and I have nothing against uh, kind of lectionary type preaching, but I think that even if you decide that you even if you're a trained lectionary preacher, I think to not have discipleship aims is to violate the core of what Jesus invited us to do as the church. Um, you know, I think the Great Commission, which is found in all four of the Gospels and as well as in the book of Acts, uh, is, is about this, this craft, this art uh, of making disciples. And um, so uh, we have a, a, you know, we, we talk about it here and we use four, la- four words in our disciple making process. There's the reach connect, form, and send. Those are kind of the four big buckets that we talk about that we want to reach people uh, with the love of Jesus uh, outside of the walls of our church. And that's primarily the stuff we do out in the community um, that that gets them to the front door of our church. And then we want to connect them to Jesus and to Jesus' people. And so we have ways to do that uh, through small group engagement. And then we want to help form them in Christ-likeness um, and, uh, we believe Bob, daily Bible engagements, part of that tithing's a part of that, you know, um, uh, we think, uh, getting God's heart for the poor and for the world is a part of that. And then we want to send them out into the world, um, as disciple makers, um, to reach more people. It's kind of, if you know, Jim Collins, it's, it becomes our flywheel. Yeah. It's our disciple-making flywheel. So we, we, we plan, we order, we preach around uh, those kind of four big buckets in the disciple-making process. Um, we think that that's what Jesus meant. Uh, if the imperative verb in, in the Great Commission is make disciples, then go, baptize, teach, and obey are the, the supporting verbs. And it's, you know, go is reach. That's where we're supposed to go. And Baptize is connecting them to the body of Christ and to Christ himself. And uh, uh, teach is formation. And obey is is going, is being sent. And so we kind of see that in the Great Commission uh, as as a, as a kind of a, an order of salvation, ordo salutis, the Wesley called it. So, so out of all that then, talking about you've got, and this will be the last big question I'm aware of the time, but... Okay. Uh, you talk about, you know, you're also trying to invite just all these new expressions through the fresh expressions movement, but even, you know, through people preaching in nursing homes and all that. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like there's a lot of vitality on the edge of your community, which is what I think a church should look like. It's great. So how much, how much do you hope or rely or expect that people who are in these <laughs> fringe expressions of your church are still connecting with the sermon regularly like is there the hope that even as this little entrepreneurial thing in the you know in this impoverished neighborhood is happening that ultimately those people will be pulled into 
the larger church community to hear these sermons? Or does that question make sense? Like, you understand sure, what I'm asking sure, there? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, what I would tell you is that uh, my good friend Chris Beckert, our good friend Chris Beckert and, and Gannon Sims from the Fresh Expressions U.S. crowd, part of what they've taught us is that um, there is a difference between doing an outreach event, say, for example, at the, the impoverished community, that seeks to drive them to the front doors of our church. Right. And that's, a, that's an honorable thing to do. And we have plenty of ministries that do that. I mean, we do movie nights out on our big, you know, out in our field. We do, you know, all kinds of, you know, Halloween things and Christmas things. And we just did a big Easter egg deal. You know, uh, it was crazy. And and that is indeed about driving people uh, to the weekend services to begin some disciple making process. But what we've learned through Fresh Expressions is that increasingly in a, in a, in a, in a uh, post-Christian culture, uh, particularly millennials have said they, they're, they're just not coming. They're just not going to come. And so the Fresh Expressions folks have helped us create language and possibilities and strategies about creating disciple-making places in the new third places, you know, uh, like these community centers and these impoverished communities or our exceptional entrepreneurs, uh, ministry, um, uh, and that sort of deal. And it's not, uh, the intent is not to connect them to the sermon. The intent is to connect them to the disciple making process, but not yeah. the sermon, if that makes sense. Yeah. But the sermon is somewhat key to helping move that along. And a- so absolutely. Oh no. I mean, all these leaders that are going out and, you know, working with the exceptional entrepreneurs or working in our community garden or working, you know, uh, at the elementary school that we've adopted, you know, all the leaders, uh, you know, 99% of them are coming from the chairs of our congregation yeah. where, th- where they're hearing these messages that are inspiring them and enabling them to, you know, all the leaders come from here. There, there's no question. Um, and so, uh, again, some of them will be a part of the, to use uh, fresh expression language, a part of the inherited church here that will still have ministries that seek to drive people to be a part of our worshiping community here. Others of them will be a part of these fresh expression communities that seek to allow that place to be the disciple-making place. Yeah, that's good. I, I'm asking these questions. It's so good. I'm asking these questions just honestly, selfishly, because I love that oftentimes you get this um, dichotomy between either the sermon is really important and we've got to get people there for the sermon or the sermon really doesn't matter that much and it's not all that helpful, you know, and fringe mission. That's not the right terminology, but you understand what I'm saying. That's where it's at. And what I love is there's enough thought process that you've got these two. It really feels like kind of married together and how they're, how they're shaping or certainly how the sermon is still really important for, for forming and pushing that. So that's why I'm I'm chasing these questions. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And the, the irony is that, for example, uh, we held our first, uh, Eat, Pray, Love Dinner Church. That's the name of this church in this impoverished community that meets on Thursday night in a community center in this impoverished. It's the second largest trailer park in Southeast, uh, uh, Southeast United States. And, um, uh, so there's this community center. They've kind of thrown the keys at us and said, use it anytime you want. And so every Thursday night we do this, uh, Eat, Pray, Love Dinner Church. And, uh, it'll typically have anywhere from 60 to 100 people there. They come to eat and hear a simple 
message. Uh, it's a time of prayer. It's, it's just building relationships with these folks who most likely would not come to the doors of this church. Okay. But uh, for Easter, we decided, Hey, let's throw a big breakfast and send one of our staff out there to give a message. And, um, she took a young man in our church who came to Christ, uh, uh, on Easter, uh, a year or so ago. And, um, and, and, uh, she gave the message, this, this woman, it was her first sermon ever. Um, she's been our children's pastor. So she's given lots of kids messages. Yeah. She's never given it to the adults. Uh, over 200 people showed up and, uh, and, and Josh g- gave his testimony and, uh, and it was just, a, it was a powerful, uh, expression and she, and there was preaching going on there, but she didn't preach our message from here. She preached the message that was appropriate to the context and appropriate to these folks who have very little, uh, Christian memory, if any at all. You know, she had to get very basic. Um, you know, we, we, uh, she had to put the training wheels back on. Yeah. So, oh man, that's good. So thank Thank you so much, George. Yeah. Um, one more uh, simple question I like to ask at the close. Well, I guess two of them, but one of them is uh, what are some, I mean, you've mentioned fresh expressions, that's fresh expressions, us.org, but what are some uh, books or other resources that have also been helping just how you think about the sermon in the life of the church or formed you as a preacher? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I'm, gosh, it sounds awful. Uh, um, You know, I, I read a lot and I, I don't know that there's there there isn't anything that I don't read. Uh, here's what I would say: Wayne Cordero helped me with this. Uh, he's he's a pastor at New Hope Christian Fellowship yeah. in Honolulu. Uh, I was privileged to spend a, a week shadowing him, um, hmm. uh, just with four pastors. He does one when he does it with like sixty. This was four of us. I mean, we got to be really up close and intimate with Wayne, and. Wayne taught me about the, the importance of journaling. And, um, and so for the last 15 years, journaling has been a rich part of my, uh, it, it, my intentional, uh, you know, daily regimens. Uh, I don't do it every day, but I do it most days. And, uh, so now I have 15 years of journaling. And I would tell you that most of the best stuff in my sermons have come out of my journals. You know, most of the good ideas, have come out of these early morning times with a cup of coffee and my laptop, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I can't overemphasize. I, it, that's why I was chuckling when you asked me the question, because I was going to tell you, well, the Bible, of course, you know, <laughs> but, but I really, I really mean that I, you know, uh, I'm grateful to, that what Wayne taught me, um, because, you know, a lot of the great sermon series, some of our best sermon series here have come out of, um, you know, this kind of what I call it, this Holy Spirit download. And you've had it happen in your life too, John, you know, where, you know, you're just sitting there writing a few things out and all of a sudden this whole lot, great idea. And you know that it's bigger than you and me. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'd say, you know, uh, that's been a big, big help. I, I you know, I'm, I, I, uh, love the, the writings of Brendan Manning. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, he's, he's been, uh, uh, in, important in my life. Um, I'm an old youth pastor, so I go back to the Mike Iaconelli days and yeah. you know, some of his old books, uh, really helped me. Um, Alan Deb Hirsch, you know, a lot of their work on 
uh, missional Christianity uh, has been very helpful. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, there, there's a ton of stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, and then finally, the church's website is egracechurch.com, but you have a blog or your Twitter or any place else somebody might want to keep up with you? Yeah, I'm on Facebook and Twitter. I'm, I, I should, you know, I should get an Instagram account, but I'm, I can barely manage those two. So. Me too. Me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, uh, I, I've written a few books through our denomination. I wrote a book called Vital uh, on uh, vital congregations on the five uh, five elements that we see in vital congregations. Uh, and then most recently, uh, the campus pastor here, he and I wrote a book called uh, A Graceful Life. Um, and uh, it's uh, 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 based on a sermon series we did here, a four-part sermon series we did here with some small group materials. And all of those are available at uh, Amazon and Abington and Cokesbury, our denominational websites. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. I, I, maybe maybe I'll get a chance to meet you in person before this one even goes live next week at Awakening. Cool. But, yeah. But please, please hunt me down. I, I, I look forward to meeting you. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, George, and blessings. Okay. Thanks again, friends. As always, you can find anything that George talked about, the links, all that, at sermonsmith.com. And always appreciate it when you're willing to retweet or share on Twitter or post on Facebook, or wherever it is that you do your social media. Uh, Share with others what is happening and what you know about the Sermon Smith Podcast. Thanks for listening.